You are listening to the Ibn Abi Umar podcast. This is your host, Umar Osman. Assalamualaikum everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Really excited about today's episode. We've got a fantastic interview with Sheikh Hasib Noor from Legacy Institute. For those of you not familiar with Sheikh Hasib, he's a graduate from the University of Medina. He's a specialist in Islamic history and Sirah. And chances are, if you've gone on any type of a Hajj or Umrah group, the scholars that you went with probably found a way to link up with Sheikh Hasib and have him give you a tour of uh, Masjid al-Nabawi, other holy sites. Uh, but he's the man originally from Austin, Texas, and we get into a number of topics primarily around the theme of faith as a lived experience, Islam as a lived experience, what are different challenges of faith, How what our relationship is with it, how we discuss our struggles, a lot of good topics that we get into. Uh, so with that, we'll jump into it. But first, a word from our sponsor, which is the book Fick of Social Media, which if you have not checked it out, please make sure you pick up a copy. All of the relevant links uh, for Sheikh Hasib's Legacy Institute, um, the book, all that good stuff is in the show notes. Uh, hope you enjoy the episode. And as always, if you've got feedback, please reach out. The brand new book, Fiqh of Social Media, Timeless Islamic Principles for Navigating the Digital Age by Omar Usman and with a foreword by Sheikh Abdul Nasser Jangda is now available to purchase on Amazon. Praised by multiple prolific Islamic speakers and scholars, the book serves as a guide on how to maintain your spiritual integrity online, navigate the ever-changing landscape of social media, applying prophetic etiquettes online, using social media as a tool for spiritual development, and much more. Visit ibnabiomar.com to learn more. All right, assalamualaikum everyone. We're joined with my good friend, Sheikh Hasib from Legacy Institute. Sheikh Hasib, how's it going? Assalamualaikum, bro. How are you? How you been, man? Doing good, alhamdulillah. Zakhlaqar for, for joining me on the podcast. We're going to get right into it. Because we started talking before the recording and we were getting into the good stuff. And I said, let's, let's just start recording. <laughs> so the topic that we want to tackle is faith, how it's portrayed, what it means to us, the consequences of how we view our relationship with faith. But just to start it out, how do you, def- you know, it, it can be a very broad term. Now it's like spirituality and this and that, but how do you define faith, you know, from a Muslim perspective and what should our relationship with it be? All right, great. So, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, we have so many of these conversations, man. And every time we say, hey, we should do a podcast. So um, <laughs> it comes it comes full circle. Alhamdulillah, we finally got on. Um, one of the beautiful things about, I think, just the natural conversations. And I've known you for like, I think, 20 years. I think maybe a little bit less than 20 years. I've, uh, I know that I came down to Austin when I was in college. Right. For a conference. I think that's where I met you the first time. Right. You were selling yeah. books. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was volunteering with, uh, with, uh, with the, Mas- the Masjid Ibrahim in Austin. Uh, they, had a, they had a really nice book. Uh, what's it called? A library. Uh, and then <laughs> I, just, I met you there at the conference. We started talking. It was crazy. Yeah. I, mean, I lent you a book. I don't know if I got that back. But anyway, that's a different story. <laughs> I get it back too if I have it. <laughs> I'm joking. But anyways, okay. The, the, this, this talk about what faith means to us, I think it goes back to Subhanallah, the the convergence and the divergence of religion and faith, 
And especially in the, in, in the context that we live in and we see other faith groups around us or religious groups. And why do I make this um, separation or distinction here between faith and religion? In, in the context that I've studied, um, from our studies uh, in Medina, as well as from a historical perspective, I, I just noticed, started seeing a trend, um, especially of how we view um, the concept of faith and the concept of religion. And I really genuinely believe that uh, the term religion in, in English and how we've been raised with it, especially in the context of America and uh, you can say the, the, the Western world in general, I think it's a Eurocentric concept. And when we talk about faith, in Islam, the word deen is always mixed between faith and religion. And I think that's an incredibly important point for us to drive home because in our faith, uh, or what you would term as deen, it, it's a worldview of how you perceive everything. So every major, minor, political, personal, private, external, internal, uh, from the spiritual to the, to the practical, all of it is encompassed in a worldview. And that's sometimes shocking to a lot of people that I grew up with. And, you know, and I was just having a discussion with them. And it's quite literally almost that conversation with Salman al-Farisi and uh, that man from the Jewish tribe in Medina, where he was like, does the prophet even teach you how to? And then he told him basically a term for the bathroom. And Salman was like, yeah, that's exactly what he does. And he said it back to him. So the term, the term I would say for faith is a comprehensive worldview. Um, and I think for us, when it comes to understanding that, it's, it's a, it becomes a, a juggle, right? Of seeing people of faith, people of religion, um, and also comparing ourselves to them, which I think you see, of course, uh, comparisons that even Allah Subhanahu makes in the Quran for us to draw parallels and for them to realize that faith is a continuum. We believe there's only one faith in reality God sent to humanity. We don't believe in this idea of plurality and, 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 and truth, even though, of course, pluralism and living together with people and all that stuff, of course, yeah. I'm talking about the idea of exclusivity of, faith, of, of truth. So um, when a person, when it, when it comes to Islam and you know, growing up in uh, societies in the Western world or people who even listening now and the, the idea of globalization influencing even Muslim or Eastern societies, that's also very real. You come to, you come to this crossroads of, okay, so how do I live with this faith in the, in the modern context? But at the same time, you know, we, we're, we're trying to balance the different nodes of understanding of the, I think, infringed ideas of religion, which is Eurocentric, the idea of the sacred and the secular, the idea of, um, you know, religion is something that is, that, that's sometimes very, um, uh, it's not, it's decontextualized, it's something that uh, it's enforced, um, it's something that doesn't allow for freedom of thought, and so on and so forth. So these kind of ideals sometimes become pervasive in people's understandings of what faith becomes. And I think when we look at it from a historical ideal or just the notion of what is deen, uh, you start to see, okay, Muslims' idea of this faith religion is different. There's a very distinct ideal that you don't see in, in any other religious religious group. I'm being, in, and I'm saying this in a very honest way. And I think when I meet Christians who are, you know, mashallah, yeah, I say mashallah because the sense of religiosity that does exist, um, they're actually very, it, 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 for, especially with some of my friends, again, anecdotally, it made them want to become stronger Christians because they saw that, wait a minute, why aren't we doing that in our, in our quote unquote religion? And then that, I think that, that's where I would start, the, the worldview of how you perceive yourself in light of everything else.
So I think one things. I think one thing that's interesting is you know we know Islam means that you submit to the will of Allah to what He has revealed, mm-hmm. and the challenges that I see, and this might set the stage for some of the topics that we want to get into. When I look around the community and the discourse that I see, I, I see two primary challenges. One is that revelation itself is not taken as the primary authority in our lives in the sense that mm. this is what the Quran says. This is what the Sunnah says. I have to submit to it and shape my life around it, no matter how difficult mm. it is, because it's not up to me. Mm. Right. But I think now there's this idea of interpreting what faith means to me and then going to the revelation in order to support the ideals that I have. And that's kind of that second part of it, which is, I think we underestimate significantly how much our environment affects us. And so living, mm-hmm. for example, in America, yes, we understand that there's certain ideas and certain things in the culture that our religion doesn't align with, but I think there's a lot of things that, you know, we miss out on. And I think right. one of those is the idea of compartmentalizing our faith mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. I'm Muslim at home, but I'm not Muslim at work. Or that spirituality is something that's only personal or only in my personal life or only between me and God. Well, I mean, which of course, your religion is between you and God, but it's taken in a way of saying I'm only practicing in certain aspects of my life, but not in others. Right. You know, there's a funny story uh, happened to somebody close to me there, you know, just being in the gym and there's somebody that comes up to him and basically says, uh, hey, can you help me out? We're doing a competition. And um, basically, he, it was it was it was a young woman, and he wanted to be respectful and say, look, in, in the most nicest of ways, that I can't basically put you on my back and do a push-up competition. Okay, that's what, that's, that's what it was. And he says to me, he's like, it was very diff- It was like just being very straightforward. It wasn't very hard for me to tell him. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm Muslim. Like we respect like women like that. I can't I can't touch you. And he was <laughs> in a very straightforward way. And she's like, oh, I'm Muslim too. And there was a moment where he was immediately he jumped and said, look. I'm not being judgmental at all. I'm, I'm saying me personally, I can't do that. And then it actually sparked interest in that young woman and saying, oh, like asking about him. And the guy's like half of the Quran. And, and she was like blown out of her mind. Like, you know, the entire Quran cover to cover. And I think that convergence, yes, it might be the gym. It's a very rudimentary example, okay. but it's a reality of like, look, there's a person just very straightforward of living. An, and and I, this is what I want to get to. Having Islam be a lived experience. And when you, when we talk, you said this line like the dichotomy between work and the masjid, the dichotomy between my house, my home, and everything outside. It's it's those who perceive Islam as a lived experience, in the essence of just you don't need to shove what they say your faith down people's throats. In essence, always like in the sense of proselytizing. That's not what we're saying. But like for example, just living as a Muslim in light of everyone else. I I have a friend who. For example, at work, said Alhamdulillah, Mashallah, Astaghfirullah, all that, Inshallah, so much that his entire coworkers would start saying those things, right? And I and I'm not I'm not necessarily like saying to do that, but I'm just saying it becomes so natural that then faith becomes a natural byproduct of that entire society. There's somebody me and you know um, who basically uh, was it was in a position where because of his faith it, it, they were highlighted, they were spotlighted to a, a large number of people, and the fact that they just lived as a Muslim and without a sense, and I don't want to use the word apologizing or being apologetic, but just being a Muslim as a lived experience, when it's time to pray, they're just very open with it. Like there's talking about water. Hey, I need to get a cup of water. Hey, I need to go pray. Asr. <laughs> like uh, to the point that everybody around, around them trusted them and 
it built a sense of, I don't know, an affinity to Islam being part of the fabric of everything, everybody else's realities. Not that they should be necessarily exceptionalized, but at the same time, that lived experience that I think you, you were talking about, right? Uh, and that's what a lot of people, they struggle with. Um, and why do you think that is, man? I want to ask you, like, why do you think that is? Why do you think people struggle genuinely? I mean, you, you're in the corporate world. You understand how it's sometimes so difficult for you to just maintain a sense of, I, I guess, an Islamic identity. And these words we've been saying for 20 years, but I, I yeah. want to say the lived experience, right? How do you, how would you, why do you think it's difficult for people? That's a tough question. I think there's an element of, you know, look, there is a very real aspect of just being the minority and mm. not having a lot of representation, right? Mm. Like, I, you know, I remember working uh, in one corporate building, like, you know, five stories, a couple of thousand employees, myself, you know, Omar Kamal, we both right. worked in that building. Mm. We have the same first name, although we spell it differently. We're both brown. We both have beards. Mm. We were like the visibly Muslim dudes and everyone thought that we must be related. And they just were shocked. They're like, but you guys have the same name, like same first name. Do you think everyone with the same first name is related? But right, right, right. it was just, it was almost like exotic. Like, wow, there's these two guys. They both have beards. They're both brown. They're both named Omar. Like it was just mind boggling for them. Yeah. But it is difficult in a sense that Muslim is not one of the quote unquote accepted minorities, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're, you know, you'll have, different employee resource groups at work, for example, and they'll mm. represent all different, you know, you'll have an Asian group or you'll have an Indian group or you'll have this group or that group, but you won't have a Muslim one. And I think part of it is the, you know, there is an effort to keep religion out of the workplace, which I, under, I understand, you know, mm. I wouldn't want to work with someone who's constantly proselytizing to me. Mm. And I don't go to work with the intent of proselytizing to anyone else, right? I'm going to do my job, do my career and, and go home. So there is this element of, I don't need to display my faith and there is, and it does then become uncomfortable when you do have to show it. Uh, but I will say that people, again, to your point earlier, like people do respect it when you're open about it, not when you're aggressive with it. I think there's a difference, right? Right. You're aggressive with your faith. That's, that's different versus people asking you like, Oh, why aren't you eating? Like, well, it's our month of Ramadan. I'm fasting. Right, right. You know, just right, being right. able to say something like that or like, oh, I'm taking I'm taking Thursday and Friday off because it's our religious holiday. You know, I right. you can be open about those things and just share what's going on. Mm -hmm. And people are respectful of that. But I think part of the hesitancy is it does take a little bit more confidence in yourself and your faith just because right. it's not common. Hundred percent. I mean, I I always think of so many people that they ask me you know, how do I tell my boss how to, you know, that I pray, et cetera. And I just tell them the story that I, it's been like, I think 10 years, man, this story, this, it was basically a, a, an article about, I forgot where Huffington Post or something. Um, this young woman basically struggling with, with her faith in New York city in the, like the, the height of the, or apex of the fashion industry. And she always felt like she was going to be judged and looked at in a different way that she felt like herself a struggling Muslim, but she was trying to do better. Uh, so she said that she would like freak out every single day trying to pray Asr before Maghrib comes in because her cubicle had, would have people keep passing by and she would have the sense of anxiety of no one want, you know, seeing her pray because they'd be like, oh, like they would judge her. And, and you know how there's always these thoughts that come across yeah. their heads. 
So uh, she said that like it got to the point where that it gave her so much anxiety that she would just rush with 10. She'd be like, oh, there's 20 minutes left. Oh, there's 15 minutes left. There's 10 minutes left. Then she would just go and say, you know what, forget it. Grab the hijab quick, very quickly. And then she said, you know what, I can't do this anymore. So she, she said, I got, I got the courage and went to my boss. And I'm thinking she's going to start making fun of me. Like, oh my God, pray, are you serious? Like, pray for what? Or, you know, these kind of thoughts. And she says that I simply asked, hey, do we have like a meeting place for me to just, you know, use 10, 15 minutes a day to just pray real quick? And she said that it was, it was such a, like almost like irrelevant thing. The lady was like, oh yeah, of course, gave her the keys. And she said that my entire problem was how I created this wall uh, of, of, of uh, you could say- You create this problem that's not necessarily there. I, exactly. you know, I ran into this, I, you know, when I started the job that I'm in now a couple of years ago, mm. uh, my first, my first week, my manager sent me a recurring weekly appointment Friday at 2 PM for our team meeting. Oh, wow. And wow. I was just like, oh, you know, I was like, I don't think I was gonna have to have this conversation on day one. And <laughs> right, right, right. so I talked to him like, Hey, um, this weekly team meeting, I kind of can't make it because, and then I explained the whole Juma situation. He's like, Oh, he's like, no problem. He's like, uh, wow. we'll just do it another day. And I'm like, okay. And right. he's like, yeah, and just block that time. So we don't schedule something. We don't schedule something else on you. And I was like, all right. That's so now 1 PM to 3 PM, it just shows me it's out of office. Nice. And you know, whoever needs to know, needs to know. Most people don't really care. They really yeah, exactly. Yeah. Once you tell them this is why, they're like, all right, fine, do whatever you want. And I think it's catering too, man. I think we just the, the element of self-doubt is 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 crazy because like you said, they create a problem that they think exists that doesn't. Um, this leads up to uh, it was, I think it was the same week, this was like years ago. I read the same article of how many Muslims in the corporate world, especially entry level, they try never to miss out on the network networking parties, even if they're like at unfortunately like clubs or whatever, like extremely, you know, racy parties yeah. or whatever, because they think that they're going to miss out, even though if it's not a corporate event and they, and there was articles with these Muslims basically were, would pretend to be drunk. They wouldn't drink, but they would pretend in order to basically overcome the idea that if they don't participate in this quote unquote, out of work networking, they're going to miss out on opportunities of, you know, climbing the corporate ladder or better opportunities, or maybe even networking with other companies, et cetera. And then finally, like, I think the article ends with the idea of like, you know, none of that actually helped me when <laughs> I realized that it was just a waste of time. And these, these things were not necessarily bringing or was, building corporate infinity. I was about to say, this is not a really, a really good example of creating a problem that doesn't exist because 100%. I have never gone to any of those networking things. Um, like alhamdulillah, you know, it's never been much of an issue. Right. I did. I did work with a friend. This is hilarious. Him and two coworkers. They're both women. They mm. went to a training in another state. So they all traveled together mm-hmm. and they went out to eat and they, they asked, you know, they asked my friend, they're like, Hey, we're all going to order drinks. Uh, do you want anything? He's like, no, I don't drink. Mm. And they just looked at him like, you don't drink. And he's like, no, you know, I explained like I'm Muslim. I don't drink alcohol. Mm. And they both looked at each other and they were like, oh, great. You can be the designated driver. And then they both got drunk. <laughs> so they, that's the funniest thing. But, but no, like, you know, and, and the other part of it is also this, and I think this is bringing it back to our discussion here, is how faith enters that picture mm-hmm. of what's the compromise that I'm making. And I think one way of looking at it is my faith is holding me back. 
Right. Right. That my my being Muslim is preventing me from being able to network and bond and do the, you know, have these same interests as everybody else. Right. And I think there's another perspective, which is any sacrifice that I make for the sake of Allah, Allah will replace it with something better. Right. I mean, how do you get someone to because that's it's a significant mindset shift and it's it doesn't have to do with practicing like you could be praying five times a day and still have that hang up. 100%. Right. Like you can still feel like, hey, I'm not being part of the team. That means I'm going to get overlooked when promotions come around. You know, people aren't going to treat me the same as they treat everyone. Like there's a lot of anxiety that goes into it because it, you're there 40 hours a week. 100%. But how do you get someone to shift their mindset about how they're making that approach? Look, man, um, I, there's something that I had to come to the realization. It was in like in high school. I'm one of five kids and 3,000 a person high school this is like you know texas okay it's it's each of them are like the size of the universities in some places so it was obviously there's a lot of difficulty and then there's one thing that i just came to realization of and that is um you just have to have a level of trust and integrity of your faith and, and i realized that i kind of didn't have enough trust in allah right uh and that lack of trust kind of builds and it, it you know extends to so many other things you know, the fact that idea of, you know, Allah will take care of everything if you do it the way he just wants us to staying within the limits of Islam and there's blessing and barakah in it and everything that you do that's outside of those limits, you'll see a lack of blessing and barakah to the extent that, you know, they may not be immediate failures, they may be actually successes, but those successes will lead you to unhappy places, discontentment. So people could be very, very uh, successful in worldly standards, but their their life eventually becomes to a level of dissatisfaction uh, or discontentment that they didn't actually put in the equation when they were doing things outside of those limits. Let and me, when you go ahead, oh, so let me throw something at you. Yeah, yeah. So let's say someone does take this approach. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to sacrifice for the sake of Allah. I'm not going to attend these networking events. I'm not going to partake in these after work activities, so on and so on and so on. Right. But hey, I've been sacrificing all those things for five years mm-hmm. and I haven't gotten a raise. Mm-hmm. I haven't gotten a promotion. Right. Where's all this barakah that you're talking about? Right. And I, it's right, right, almost right. like, how does someone, what are the expectations someone should have from Allah? Like, hey, I'm doing all this. Right. Where's my where's my reward, so to speak? I understand where a lot of us, when we create faith to be transactional, um, and that I think is also a, a, an essence of problem. Um, and the problem, obviously, hindsight for every single person is twenty twenty. And I did an exercise, like we do. Um, so we started this uh, community space um, uh, institution called Faith. And we have like five different uh, cities throughout throughout the world: London, San Diego, Austin, uh, Ottawa, Canada, um, and New York City. And um, usually, what we do in, in, in discussing practical spirituality of exactly what we're talking about, how to make faith something as, as a lived experience, I ask in the, one of the first sessions, uh, "Tell me about a moment that you've regretted in your life, like seriously regretted." Somebody, for example, uh, would say, "You know, I uh, some one of my friends wanted me to." invest in Bitcoin. And we almost like, they wanted me to buy 2000 at some sense. And I was like, nah, that's not, that's worthless. And now it's at like 50,000 now. Right. They would be like, anyway. Um, or, or somebody would say like, you know, one of my friends asked me to be on the board of Mac and uh, before it got big and I, I, I refused it. So these are real, these are, these are real uh, opportunities that they didn't, they didn't take. 
And I said, opportunities that you didn't take that you feel regret. So then I, I let the conversation naturally happen. And people start with all kinds of regrets. I regret this job. I regret this, uh, you know, per, blah, blah, blah. And then subhanAllah, during the course of that conversation, you know, subhanAllah, it, it's almost like a development of the faith development. There's always somebody that says in the, in the circle, but you know what? If it wasn't for that failure perceived, I wouldn't have ended up doing this, this, or that. If it wasn't that if I got onto the board of Mac, I would have never met my husband who I love dearly and et cetera and all this other stuff. If it wasn't for the, and all of these things start to come together at the end, when I asked them, I said, okay, can you guys tell me what you, things that, you know, that you regret? at the end, they say, you know what? I, we don't really regret those things because it brought to a, brought us to where we are now. And that is, I think the, the hurdle that it will help come when they're in the lived quote unquote failures that they're not seeing and they're seeing faith as being transactional just remember that Allah is preparing your happiness as long as you're fulfilling that essence of his pleasure his contentment or submit sub, that's essence of submission to him and if you do that it will help you overcome the the immediate what you could say uh lack of success or even failures and I, I honestly you know it's like Imam al-Ghazali was asked how do we how do we taste the sweetness of faith how do you taste this level of you know tr trust in allah to such an extent that even now i'm asking for my promotions i'm asking for all of these things and i'm not seeing it you know why why is it not something physically that i can tangibly see and imam al-ghazali was like well you're asking me to tell you describe sweetness or describe love some of these things are perceived realities when you actually you know taste something sweet and you taste what love is it's something that you when you're in the process of, you know, uh, I, I, maybe you can better word it, but in the process of, uh, you know, in the process of doing, um, you will it's find. Yeah, it's, it's experiential. That's, that's, that's a perfect word. So if it's an experiential experience, you have to be able to, you know, propel that with your element of trust and knowing that Allah will is preparing your happiness in light of the difficulties that you're going through. I mean, that's, that's in essence, what, our, what our, that's one of the greatest claims Islam makes. And in fact, you know, I was thinking about this earlier. I was like, look, man, everybody, there's, there's, a, there's a rise in suicide, especially now in the COVID pandemic. Um, and there's so many people that are just finding voids in spirituality when they've been detached from human beings and detached from, you know, just communicating on a very normal level. So they're finding themselves spiritually empty. Why aren't we talking about having like, you know, spirituality from a, from a Muslim perspective for non-Muslims? Just talk about spirituality and then tie it back to Tawheed, of course. But the idea of what our faith brings in and in, in, in filling people's voids is, is immensely powerful. Um, and if, if people can channel these kind of concepts, that this is what Islam, this is the greatest claim that Islam makes in reality. Do what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says and you will find the blessings at the end of the road. Um, and in, in the process of which Allah even says, it's not about, okay, wait until the end when, when it's all over, but you will see those, those successes. You will see, you know, you will see those, those moments where you will look back and say, man, subhanAllah, how things worked out for the better. How do you, how do you frame and define success? Because mm -hmm. this is, you know, it's, it's, I know, I know it's a buzzword. And I know that it can mean a lot of different things, but one thing that I notice is, and again, we, you know, we tend to sometimes take on the culture of where we live. And one of the ideas that's popular in society is the concept of prosperity gospel. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's an obvious religious connotation that if you, you know, follow God's commandment, you will reap riches in this world. 
But there's also the entire ideal of just the American dream as well, which is if you work hard and you follow these rules, you will lift yourself up and, and be successful. And again, success here being measured in, again, terms of your personal advancement or accumulation of wealth and so on. How, what would be an Islamic definition of success in that regard? Because I think one thing that happens is we do often end up conflating it with some of those same ideals. You know, the, the, the concept of success, actually, if, if you look at it from the Quranic lens, if you look at the word falah or muflihun, and how many times Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions it in the Quran, in reality, everything we've discussed, you know, or, that led up to this point of understanding success is just living that ex, living everything we've said in an, in an experiential experience uh, of Islam through your day-to-day life. And that, in essence... Is, is a successful believer, is a successful, a successful Muslim in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the right? The most noble of you in the sight of Allah are those who have the most consciousness of God. And this is the consciousness. So if, no matter what happens in your life and you have the initial, the initial reactions become uh, surveying your life in accordance to uh, what, you know, is, is this something that will lead you closer to God? Is this something that, uh, is going to help you, um, you know, come to some uh, sense of reality of your shortcomings, or is this a you could say almost like a cause and effect because of something that you slipped up on, uh, and and coming to this kind of space where you you understand almost what you could say the how Allah functions in this universe. I don't know how to explain it other than in giving an example of Al Hasan Al Basri. Hasan Al Basri basically he was like, I when I went home. And I found that my ride wasn't riding properly. And I went home and I, there was these arguments that started for no reason with my wife. He said, I realized it was because of a sin I committed earlier in the day. So what I, the best thing I can say is becoming in tune with that lived experience more and more. And that, that cause and effect uh, to a lot of people is, is, is still in a state of confusion. A lot of people come and ask me like, how do I know that this, this difficulty that I'm going through is not punishment from God? Well, subhanAllah, I mean, that's the idea. That's the notion that the difficulties that Allah sends are not necessarily punishment. They're actually may, might be good for you. They might be actually elevation. They might be actually a sense of Allah wants good for you to elevate you through difficulties. And those difficulties, you will learn how to overcome. There's all that famous, you know, like line of poetry. I asked God for ease and he gave me difficulty that, that taught me strength to overcome. I mean, it's the same concept. So success to me, and success that, that, you know, that we were taught traditionally in, 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 is to have this level of understanding. And I, I, I couldn't call it spiritual equilibrium. I can call it um, an essence of understanding the lived experience of Islam. So you, you become more in tune. It's not your, like as the scholars say, among the, the primary roots of uh, spiritual diseases called ghafla. There's a number of, you know, they call them the, the seven deadly sins. We have a number of, we call seven deadly spiritual diseases. Uh, you know, plug in. I'm going to be doing a seminar on this later. But anyway, the point being, well, uh, the link in the show notes. <laughs> the, point, the point being is a sense of ghafla, a sense of heedlessness, where a person is not, not. We're not talking about heedless of like salah, heedless. We're talking about heedless of this spiritual state, of this spiritual understanding, of understanding how Allah functions in in the universe and how that universe is just the microcosm of you in your own life. And how those cause and effects actually take place if you understand it. And if that for me, if you get to that level, then you're successful. So I think this is this is really like the part that's 
difficult to grasp because when I think in terms of how people talk about their relationship with Allah, they approach any of these topics, there's an undercurrent. I don't, I don't know if you've noticed the same thing. Mm-hmm. I've noticed, an un- and it's not explicitly stated, but it's kind of hanging out there, which is this idea of I deserve something from Allah. Like I've done X, Y, Z. So I kind of somehow I'm owed this thing. You know, if a, a non-religious person would say like the universe owes me this. Right. 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 We, we obviously wouldn't be that, that brazen to say like Allah owes me something, but we kind of sometimes make that point in a roundabout way. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. As if Allah owes, owes us something because of what we're putting in, like input output kind of thing. Exactly. It's, uh, I mean, on a personal level, it's, it's easy to just give like, obviously the general, uh, um, I mean, the general pretext of of what we're saying, lived experience, trust in Allah, and then these things happen. But on a spiritual level, honestly, when, when we lack those elements of, I would say generally actions that have, I, I think, loss of meaning. In essence, we're just doing them as a routine. We're expecting an outcome to, 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 to just come through doing them rather than the meaning behind them. I think that's, that's also an incredibly problematic aspect, um, meaning prayer just becomes, I want to pray in order to get this, this, this thing I'm, I'm searching for. And I'll give you an example. I have a number of people, they, they come and ask me, you know, Sheikh, can you make dua for me? I'm like, what's her name? And then they start laughing, right? Uh, and, I, and, and, um, and I say to them, you know, I'm going to make a dua, but you have to be ready for, you know, saying amin to it. You got, you got to be prepared to say amin. It's not just a normal amin. I want you to understand what I'm about to tell you. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, I'm going to make a dua. Oh, Allah, grant you the best person for you in this world and the next. That is khair for you in this dunya and the akhirah. And that means the person you're talking to now, if they're not khair for you in your dunya and akhirah, they will be taken away. So the person responds with like a crying emoji, right? And they say, Amin. So the idea and notion is we have to build ourselves up to understanding that every, every you know, world dunya stimulus that, that, that we're going through is preparing ourselves. And if you have that understanding, then you will understand and always ask in your dua, oh Allah, whatever you put in front of me, give me khair and whatever is good for me in this, in this world and the next. And again, that's what I'm saying. If a person doesn't have this element, then they're going to consider faith as transactional. It's like, oh, I'm actually praying to get, to get this. And if I, if I get that, then that, that is where I find contentment. Whereas faith teaches us, in essence, three, three levels of sincerity. The first level is when you ask Allah, and this is, by the way, Yahya Zakaria Al-Ansari, he mentions this. He says, these are all forms of sincerity, but look at the levels. The first form of sincerity is when you ask Allah for something, uh, you do something in order for Allah to prevent you from some kind of harm. For example, the Prophet says, if you give charity in secret, it will remove the anger of God or it will extinguish the anger of God. That's the hadith. Sadaqatu fi fi rabb. Uh, that's the in that sincerity he says he calls this the lower level of sincerity because why it's transactional the second level he calls it uh wusla. he says that you do something in order to get a reward out of it for example like certain things in jannah or even even physically the one who gives um uh 
the one who uh, establishes ties of kinship, meaning you you keep connected to your family. You give phone calls to your aunts and uncles and you know uh, other course, close people who are even closer to your parents, and you just keep in touch with them. It extend the Prophet says this is a means of extending your life. So a person's intending this reward. And the Prophet, the, the Sheikh he says this is also sincerity, but it's still transactional. And the third level, which is you just simply doing it because of the relationship you're creating and the the the, the level of I guess spiritual closeness you have with Allah. And that's the answer in hadith of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that, uh, which has weakness in it, and uh, but the meaning is true, and many scholars quote it, uh, which is that Allah says that um, I give more to those who remember me than those, uh, I give more to those who are busied in my remembrance than those who simply ask. Than those who simply ask, meaning those who are in the busy in the remembrance of Allah, uh, in essence, bettering their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, meaning they're seeking meaningful prayer, meaningful dua, meaningful sujood, and meaningful charity, or meaningful any, any, any relationship interaction. They're only seeking the pleasure of Allah, in, and that's, that's a high level of spirituality to reach. I mean, all of us are trying to get there, right? Um, but during the process of a person doing that, being busied in the remembrance of Allah, also literally, meaning instead of making dua you're doing you're doing uh istighfar or you're doing a tasbih or whatever allah says that he will obviously take care of that person more because they're constantly busied in the remembrance of allah than the one who's just simply asking all of this is a, is, is a long answer to uh, what you what, what you asked and that is we're trying to reach this level of having a meaningful relationship with god and I think everyone just needs to get to this level before they start asking about why is it, why isn't uh, why am I not being given what I've asked for? Rather, you say why why is there a shortcoming in your relationship with your Lord? So, as you mentioned sincerity, you actually made me think of something else, which mm -hmm. is everything that you mentioned is regarding a person's sincerity toward Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Mm -hmm. Now there's a, I don't know if the term is phenomenon or if it's just part of the culture now, but there is this idea now of authenticity, which mm -hmm. is sincerely representing yourself and not putting on a show, not faking it, not trying to be right. something that you're not, but authentically representing who you are. Right. And one part that I've, you know, I've noticed this a lot and I don't know the right way of talking about it, but it's this idea of, okay, I'm struggling and I'm going to show the world that struggle as a way of authentically being true to myself. Now, in some right. cases that may be publicizing sin. I was just about to say that. Yeah. Okay. Go, go for it. Go for it. No, no, no. no, no. Yeah. I want you to finish. With okay. Exactly. I'll say in, in some cases it's something like publicizing sin. Right. I think in some case it is quote unquote sincere in the idea of maybe if I share my struggle authentically, it right. can maybe inspire other people or I right, can get right, support right. or what, you know, there could be multitude of ways, but it's, it's still centered on, I want to represent myself a certain way. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a great, I think, discussion. Uh, the idea of uh, authenticity and representation, right? You mentioned representation earlier. I think it's just incredibly. It, I think it's incredibly telling. Where are we getting this idea of authenticity and representation from? Where where's the source of it? I mean, if if you're looking at the source of that kind of thought, 
Is it the fact that we want as Muslims to be authentic to ourselves? Or is it that the fact that we're being influenced by people who do the same thing? And we're saying, you know what, I can do as well and show the fact that we uh, as Muslims also have struggles and we're not, and I hate this word, to be honest with you, because it's been abused. All three of these words are being abused. And the idea is where Muslims are not a monolith, right? Muslims are not a monolith. So we have to be authentic to ourselves and the struggles that we're going through so that we can solve those problems. I have issue with it with only one perspective. Number one, we are a hugely diverse population, massively diverse from you know race, ethnicity, uh, immigrant to in, indigenous. All of that is, is, is powerful for us to understand and accept the, I think the authentic uh, backgrounds of of Islam from all these different kind of uh, you know the spectrum of Muslims that exist. That's one hundred percent beautiful, valid. Allah even says that in the Quran, right? In Surah Al-Hujurat, we've created you from uh, different tribes and also from different backgrounds. What litaaruf so that you may know one another, draw affinity, and also establish the communities. The, the whole surah is about establishing community. And I challenge, by the way, any anyone to find me a community as more diverse than Muslims, 100%. The problem comes here then when we have, uh, let me let me just put it in a straightforward way, an Islam that is only specific for this level or this group of people, representative of only this people. I have like the Islam of Omar Usman and the Islam of Hasib and the Islam of Fulan and my subgroup that kind of works with me, whether it be diaspora, whether it be black, whether it be anyone. And I have problem with that because in reality, our faith is not compartmentalized in that way. And you can sense that kind of language and narrative is borrowed. You don't see that kind of language in our in our uh, in our culture. You don't. See, I'm talking about our Islamic culture. You don't see. That was very new. It's in, in the past few years only, I think. Right, and and, and uh, what happens is there's a lot of uh, you know of, of our tradition that's taken from scholars who who um, uh, either are from a particular part of the world, uh, and then they're sometimes highlighted in the wrong way. For me, I would love to celebrate the fact that something that you know uh, we learned from the Ottomans, they literally said, Islam is the land that, that, that Muslims live in. Islam is the land that, that is under our feet. So you understand that wherever you land, you're part of Muslims and, and wh- wherever Muslims are. Um, and we celebrate and we should celebrate and we should highlight. So some, some of this reality is the fact that Muslims have had a huge issue with, with racism in the community. And you have people saying, why, do we, why, why are we going to celebrate? For example, we're now in February, which is, um, you know, uh, Black History Month. Black History Month. Uh, and people are saying, well, why should Muslims celebrate? This is, this is ridiculous. It doesn't mean that. We're <laughs> of course, the fact that we're celebrating Muslim uh, Black history is something beautiful and vibrant in our tradition. Let's talk about all the great scholars that happen to be Black. Let's talk about the great uh, uh, you know, impact that Muslims had in America and, and also the West, starting from Malcolm X and moving on and down, many other people. So we're, we're caught in this discussion and I'm, I'm just amazed that why is it that it has also mixed in this idea that it challenges your authenticity if you don't accept this narrative that there is an Islam only for this subset and Islam only for that subset. I think that's the only thing that I have a problem with personally. But uh, when it comes to this notion of authenticity, of showing yourself um, in, in, in the most absolutely raw way, it goes against many elements of our faith of publicizing sins. This is, so everything that's in, in, 
in accordance with the prophetic hadith, teaches us that you shouldn't be publicizing your sins. Does this mean that you have to, um, you know, and, and this is the problem when we have these kind of discussions sometimes when everybody's minds start going into exceptions. But what about people who do blatant, you know, uh, sins that harm the community? Shouldn't we be opening and openly talking about that? There's a difference between openly discussing an issue that the community needs to resolve versus a person going and publicizing their own sins to the world in this in this false notion that I have to be authentic to myself so that I don't uh, pretentiously show a image uh, that I'm not. This is shaitan, literally. There's nothing else to say other than that. What Our about people who feel yeah. that they need to publicize sins as a way of showing that, hey, we're just like everybody else, right? That idea of acceptance. I don't want to say assimilation because that really projects a lot onto someone, but, mm-hmm. you know, just trying to, I, I would say maybe it's almost an overreaction to the otherization that's been done to Muslims, right? There has been right. an element, especially in America, of, Muslims are just this crazy, weird, whatever group of people. Right. And I think now to counter to say, hey, we're just like everybody else. I, don't, I, 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 find it, um, I find it just interesting because when we talk about we're like everybody else, we're not, we're not uh, I almost see it as excusing or justifying the fact that you will find Muslims drinking and Muslims committing zina and Muslims doing whatever. I don't understand why we can't see the fact that it's not about we're like everybody else. We're all just human. <laughs> human beings will commit sins. Human beings will, Muslims will not be the perfection of the ideals of Islam that we're all trying to aspire to. And I think rather say that we're all imperfect beings that are trying to aspire to the perfection of Islam, the, perf- the perfect ideals of this faith that came from God. That's a beautiful statement to make. But this the notion of like, let me just, you know, uh, try to present authenticity in a way of justification. Our faith has a clear standard of of eth- our, uh, an ethos, an ethic, a, char- uh, a character analysis that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has given us. So it's not just a dis- this, this discussion is not just simply stifling people's authentic, I think, journeys. But I think people just need to really assess themselves of why they're seeking that. Um, and when it comes to our faith. No one is saying, for example, if you were to say, let me just give a rudimentary example. Somebody, somebody's going through, had a drug problem in the past, and they're speaking about that in order to uplift people who have had that kind of problem and to help them to, uh, you know, alleviate it and, and to seek help the way they did through their, this is something vastly different from somebody coming and basically openly showing that they're, you know, dating, having uh, sex, you know, before marriage, uh, drinking, going to clubs and et cetera. Um, and then you have this constant battle on social media of Muslims then, you know, they call them the Haram police projecting the fact that this shouldn't be done on the fact that Muslims struggle. Muslims have have all of these issues. Uh, and the approach then is then um, uh, with some of these people, the fact that they're so harsh, uh, it, it, it creates the counter extreme of justifying let be the way they are. Um, and I think those two extremes just beget each other's problems. One of them is the fact that you, the Prophet taught us a method and process of helping uplift people in their faith. A person who's struggling with everything we just talked about, Islam as a lived experience and trusting God and, and getting to the notion of meaningful prayer, and you're sitting there railing at them about something that will cause a greater harm, the scholars say it's actually haram. 
you're causing a greater harm of them maybe even leaving Islam, including some big Hollywood names who they were railed on so much. They literally said, I'm no longer Muslim. And people are like, see, we told you, don't ever take these people as role models. It's like, subhanAllah, you guys don't have the, the mercy of the Prophet Muhammad in your faith. And that's why it's drawing other people away from it. So we're talking about the gradation of how to level people up to a faith from where they are, accepting them the, in, their, in their struggles, but also having the decency of not falling into this idea that I just need to be authentic. So I'm going to be public about my sins. No, you don't need to be public about your sins. That's also against the Prophet's injunctions. So have your struggles. Yes, you will. Everyone will. But don't fall into this idea of, you know, I'm going to be authentic to myself. So I'm just going to, you know, just like everybody else, I'm going to publicize everything that I do. What about the other side of it, which is someone that's not necessarily trying to publicize their sins, but they just take the approach of whatever I do between me and God, don't tell me anything. I mean, look, a lot of these things, and you know this, man, is, is there are very, very straightforward answers from the Prophet Muhammad when it comes to, number one, a person who feels attacked yeah. versus a person who, who knows what's the truth. And and in those kind of conversations, when and that's why I always look I think at the I context, think my thing but, my thing is maybe less about the less about the individuals, right? Because usually it's like you said, it's there's you know they're dealing with like some type of hatred or probably bullying or something like that. But I think right. I think the sum effect of some of these discussions or you know interactions has been that even someone that's not necessarily publicizing their sins, they're just going to take the approach of, hey, you know what? I should rein my faith in and it's just between me and God and I'm not going to share anything of it with anyone. Right. I mean, uh, look, it, it, a person, and it, just like anybody else, has so many internal processes in trying to deal and battle with faith the struggles that they perceive as real struggles that they're going through and how it balanced between those two things. When a person has something like that, there's, there, there's a wall, right? We talked about the idea of a person creating a problem that they think exists that there is, it, it actually doesn't. That comes from a fear of, of lack of what? Lack of success, not, not getting what uh, they, they perceive as a, a roadblock to being a practicing Muslim in, in, the, in the work environment. So what we have to actually do is not really answer to people who make those kind of comments. We have to actually go behind what is the reason behind those comments to begin with. And you will find that a lot of people had religious trauma. You people have, you, you'll find that a lot of people have had bad experiences that they've that they used to justify their stances that are wrong to begin with. This doesn't negate and is dismissive of their trauma or experiences. But what we need to do is to actually be prophetic and how to deal with these things. If a person's using those words, especially on social media, I mean, look, how many people are just projecting these things just to have a, a voice box to, to have an opinion on? But rather when you sit down with them and you have like a genuine conversation, you'll, you'll find some genuinely strong factors of what made or put them in, in the place where they are. Um, so I always, when I, when, I, when I speak to a person and I find them to be very volatile towards faith, I really almost not, don't talk about it head on. I really just try to get to know the person and see what made them the way they are. And then, you know, when, when those, you could say those walls that they've built in front of, and that they're projecting on you, 
uh, are they broken down when they see you as you know somebody they trust then you can have some of those very real conversations of why it is that they're saying that it's just between me and god maybe they're afraid maybe they're maybe they know that they're committing sin and they're just using this as a defense mechanism because they're sick and tired of being attacked maybe they've done things in the past like i'll give you an example there was a story of a young woman and she's like what can people do to me when i wore hijab after 9/11 right and i was just like you know you don't understand me and you are guys like yeah. i you you're married i'm married so we know the stories right of how our wives are treated and how we look like now new age mashallah like gq models because we have beards and all that other stuff people like amazing beard i'm like dude like you didn't say that to me 15 years ago yeah. people would make fun of me you know that but um the amount of the amount of problems that that led to her to 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 come to the state we just got to be empathetic of what 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 is behind these words that are being said only god can judge me my faith is between uh, me and god leave me alone you know for me a conversation that has led to that statement being made i think was problematic to begin with if it's on social media that's definitely projection and we're just not having very authentic if you use that word authentic conversations like for i know we're in covid pandemic so don't get me at me with that but the idea of just talking to people as people who are works in progress right um and that's all, and i i really wish that people who are listening to this they stop trying to argue with others to make point but rather yeah. really really look at how the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam won people over and and he he cared more about uh, about winning a heart than than proving a point and in reality uh, if you look at everything in the seerah i haven't seen this in my life i have all the seerah that i've ever read the prophet sallam caring more about establishing a truth than losing people's hearts to the point that hypocrites in Medina would spread lies about the Prophet Sallallahu family. The, and I, I'm going to be very blatant, straightforward for you to understand that his family committed adultery with other people. And they, and they would come to him and say, Ya Rasul, this is slander. This is treason at the highest level. Let's take care of these people. And the Prophet Sallallahu said, I never want anyone to say that Muhammad hurts his companions, kills their companions, cuts off his companions. Mm. I mean, where is this empathy, dude? There's where, where are we? We're not even that. We're talking about emotional intelligence and mashallah, your book that just came out. I'm gonna plug it. Yeah, fic of social media, but we're missing this level of interaction, prophetic interaction. Where is it? Um, and we're we're worried more about the the arguments and the opinions and the things that are the statements and the expressions that are made. You know what's funny is I think some of it. And I'm not trying to defend it at all, you know, by any stretch. Anyone that's read my site knows I've written a lot of articles about this too. But there is this idea of the role of faith is undermined in society. Mm -hmm. And so we somehow need to defend it, right? Uh, If I'm I'm giving Hosnadhan to any of these people, it would be that maybe they have this you know, they're maybe not in acting on it the right way, but maybe they have a sincere intention of right. wanting faith to play a more central role in people's lives. Now, the way they go about doing it, yeah, absolutely, you know, right. it's the wrong way, but there, there is that concept that faith is being undermined constantly, right. whether it's by other Muslims, whether it's by society in general. You know, look, behind everything that's done wrong is sometimes a good intention. Yep. 
this is the, yeah, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Right, right. right. I said that. But my whole point being is how many people under that guise, that faith is under the attack, go on to say so many things that make people hate them. And Allah says in the Quran, Allah, don't make us uh, a, a test, a, a, a uh, affliction, a, uh, a means for people to be, you know, in essence, um, thwarted from faith. Those who are those who commit wrong oppression and those who uh, are, are, are those who reject faith are not even Muslim to begin with. So for me, I'm not being again dismissive of the fact that yes, this is true. Yes, faith now is in many ways undermined in, in many different angles. There is a way to have that discussion. There's a way to present that. There's a way to have a discussion with the progressive left and uh, especially on the idea of morality and that being protected under, I mean, if you're an American in, in the American constitution, in the Western world, I mean, except France because God helped them. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah. Um, but which, which they're setting a standard of basically fascism uh, undermining faith, and they're the worst example. Not not necessarily among the highest as well. There's Hungary. There's other other countries as well. I'm not control finding this, but they don't care. The point being is, um, if you see that that conversation uh, needs to take place, then set the set the model, model the conversation in the best way. The fact that we as Muslims cannot have our our values attacked. We as Muslims cannot have the standards of what our faith teaches be attacked as being incongruent with being American, quote unquote. Because then what in reality is the difference between the same Trump alt-right ideas that we've been dealing with for the past four years and now you just flipped the coin and made them now alt-left ideals that are in essence for many people that pushed them in that direction. The fact that there's no tolerance of uh, of these ideals in the public space, that conversation just needs to be modeled better. That conversation of of, of disagreeable, um, uh, you know, uh, a disagreeable model of the Prophet Muhammad even in the Meccan society, where he would teach the ideals, even that faith that, that Islam taught, but he didn't do it in a way where the people, in essence, hated Muslims. They hated Muslims because they didn't want this faith to, you they know, take away essence, their power. Take away their power. So in essence, he, they didn't hate the, the faith because he told them be chaste. He told them that there is no sex outside of religion anymore, uh, outside of outside of faith any, uh, and marriage right. anymore. Uh, you don't see that in, in that in that society. It was done in such a beautiful way that it was modeled. In essence, I, I really think, bro, um, more Muslims need to start speaking to one another and having these conversations where they can, they'll disagree on a number of things. We already know that. Yeah. But, but, how how we model that disagreement isn't to just start cutting people off. I have I've had some incredibly you know painful experiences where I have established relationships with people for the past like seven years, eight years, and on they flip the switch on you because of one disagreement on some external tertiary point of how Muslims should discuss value faith uh, or, or or faith values in, in in American society. So at that you get cut off because of it. For, for the love of God, is this really what our faith teaches us? And that's why it becomes problematic to me. Then, who are we modeling after? Are we po are we modeling after the prophetic society, or are we modeling modeling after the progressive society, or modeling after the alt rights, or modeling after who, whoever is out there that's other than what our faith teaches us? Yes, we stand out. Yes, we 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 provide solutions for how to speak about these issues. Our faith our, our faith teaches us all of this. But Muslims, 
May Allah help us all. We're having difficulty doing that. What will be the way for, you know, I mean, some of these issues, I think for a lot of people, they feel overwhelming. They're things that you think about, you're like, man, I don't want to get into any of that stuff. Of course. What would, and I know we're kind of going longer, but maybe as a final point, what would be your advice to people that are listening? They're just saying like, look, I don't want to get into all this. I do want to prioritize my faith and make it the means by which I live my life. But how do I practically do that while avoiding this minefield of stuff that's happening around me? I mean, it's difficult, man. <laughs> you're, 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 you're a human being that has to, you know, obviously you're subject to the stimulus of everything happening around you. A lot of people, I mean, people I've talked to, they said as soon as, as Trump came into office and he left the office, you saw a dynamic shift oh, in, absolutely. In, in just the language, in just the, the attitude. So similarly, we... Yeah, so we, let, me, let me rephrase the question, right? So maybe more, how do I keep my faith as a priority and not inadvertently given to what's happening in the culture around me, right? Because like you said, right. what's happening around you has an effect on you. 100%. You know, we noticed there's, you know, not, not to get into politics, but yes, there's right. a difference in how society was from 2016 onward versus before, 100%. right? The way that people talk, where the people interact, the things that are considered normal parts of discourse in the media or in daily conversation, a lot of those things changed completely. Yeah. And they do have an effect on our worldview they affect the way that we view the people around us right like before 2016 if i went to chick-fil-a and i just saw a random dude wearing a red hat it didn't mean anything right but now i see a guy with that with a red hat with a certain slogan you could be wearing certain assumptions you know making me feel a certain way you know what i mean but right right um I, i i think that everything we spoke about from the beginning um of centering Islam in our lives will teach us how Islam from the Fatiha, from Surah Al-Fatiha, is, compart- is, is compartmentalized or has three, is, is, uh, what I would say, is three components. You have, and this, this is also taught in emotional intelligence, but you know, obviously prophetic emotional intelligence. Number one, your relationship with God, your relationship with people, and your relationship with society. So these are, these are not mutually exclusive. They have to function at the same time. Our faith is not a faith of monks where we all have to go and become uh, you know, spiritually in tune with God and then forget the society around us. It is we a can't social, turn it on and off in different situations. Right. It's a social responsibility of Islam. You have to. This is mentioned in the Quran in Surah Yunus. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says you know, in terms of uh, those who said to a group of people, in essence, why are you even bothering to go out and correct others. And the response was, so that our Lord may forgive us and perchance they may change. Allah says he forgave those who were rectifiers and he uh, basically avenged those who committed oppression. And then he was silent about those who did not, who, uh, who basically uh, spoke out against their rectification, their words. And the scholars, they said about this, there's there's one of two answers either god also forgave them because they didn't commit wrong or number two he didn't because they didn't decided to they basically spoke out against those who wanted social rectification so these components are part of islam man uh, all of us are trying to aspire for you know the ideals in all of these three components people need to see and i think this is something that you'll see you'll agree with me as well man all of us go through different levels of developmental 
uh, I, you know, I guess you could say states with our faith as we grow older. Uh, but one thing that I've seen, especially among young men, is, you know, they'll start to realize the importance of spirituality when they get married, especially when they start to have kids. Mm. And that element, which is just put on the back burner and, you, you know, the, the talks about theology and what I call Aqidah wars and, and fiqh wars oh, and all this other. You just want your kids to pray without you reminding them. Right. That, that, like, right. if you do that, it's just like, cool, I, I can check the box of being a successful parent. Exactly. And that's, by the way, the funny thing is, that's exactly what Ibrahim Ali said I made dua for. And the great Muharram, Allah left my family here in, in this blessed valley, which is, which has no vegetation, meaning Mecca. Oh Allah, for them to just establish prayer. Literally. Mm. So you and Ibrahim are on the same level. <laughs> but, the, but the point being is like, okay, everybody has to look at what their reality is. Everybody has to have a moment of truth and saying, look, what am I lacking when it comes to my my spiritual state? And how much of it is is based on these these complexes of authenticity and you know representation dude forget that all of that is great wonderful amazing but where are you with Allah when it comes to salah how much I of think, it is actually meaningful you know i'll say I'll, and just to add one more you know authenticity and all that but i think there's also an element for some people of just being content like hey i'm happy with where my spirituality is and they exactly. don't feel a need to improve it 100% i mean this is it's it's something that a we just have to be real with ourselves that we need to work on. And it's it's a constant thing. It's not just, oh, I've done a course on spirituality. I've read this book on the diseases of the heart or spiritual purification of the heart, et cetera. But spirituality is a practice. Spirituality is where is that meaningful when literally when you're just by yourself, are you doing the, uh, or do you find contentment in the fact that you're making dua? You find contentment in your sujood. And that translates to two and three. The, that's with, with, a, with, let's say it's just me and God. Okay, if it's just you and God, then why are you not having a meaningful relationship with him? Number two, with your family. One of the biggest problems we have, man, is just a false sense of religiosity when it comes to people who consider themselves practicing. They go to the masjid and everybody loves them. And then when they go to their house, they're like frown. Hmm. And they don't realize the prophets I said emphasized the greatest thing in Islam is how you deal with others. Perfection of character. He's, he's, he's emphasized it to such an extent. He said, this is the weightiest thing on the scale of good deeds. He didn't even mention going praying in the first line, uh, defending the lands of the Muslims, giving charity $3 million to whatever Islamic uh, charity program or whatever, and feeding orphans and saving people from all of these different uh, catastrophes, which are amazing. He said, the best thing is to treat people with the best of character. And Allah says in the Quran, those of you who are closest to you are the most deserving of your good. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much that can be said, but one of the things I have a huge, huge problem with, man, is that people will be, they'll, they'll, if you give them a hardcore lecture to make them cry about their salah, they'll be the front line. Cry, you know, about the chair, they'll give chair. But if you tell them to just fix how you talk to your mom, fix how you talk oh, to your, your, your husband, don't want to hear how, it. Your, uh, your wife, your children, how you deal with people, stop being selfish, uh, stop feeling entitled, stop having assumptions of others, uh, speak to people with some sense of dignity don't feel like that you know these kind of things which are very real the prophet has a hadith about these things he talks about people who who feel like they have a sense of entitlement of opinion he called them what uh, uh those who literally just talked in order to talk uh i mean all of this in spirituality which is by the way fickle social media it's a new book anyway <laughs> so all of these things when you when you see that we're lacking and implementing 
that, you'll see that your faith will start actually to stagnate. It becomes a very ritualistic, superficial component because the reality of Islam is practiced and it's shown in how you're interacting with people. That's when, you're, when your Islam actually shines, when you become a person of your integrity, when you become a person of, of how you treat people. And then lastly, of course, the family component is the most important, but then the society uh, and, and, and being the best neighbor and being also proactive in, in the community. How many Muslims are like, you know, I don't care about how people vote and stuff like, I mean, dude, this is not, a, the, those words shouldn't come from a Muslim. You should actually yeah. have a sense of concern. Even if you per- feel like there's not going to do something, you always remember the hadith of the Prophet Muhammad that if the, the day of judgment is about to land on your head yes. and you had in your hand a sapling, meaning a, 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 for those of you who understand sapling, right? it's a tree, it's a small tree that you're going to grow. And you wanted to basically uh, you know, plant it and the day of judgment is about to land on you, the Prophet says to plant the tree. This is how Islam teaches us. So you're like, oh, it's, uh, no, this is all like these Debbie Downers, right? And Allah says, speaks about them in Surah Al-Baqarah. Those who stood in front of the, the uh, army of, of uh, Talut and, and uh, David and Goliath. David was a, was a soldier, mm-hmm. right? And basically a portion of the army, they're like, they're greater than us. They're more, <laughs> they're the yeah. Debbie Downers. You know, what I love, you know what David did to them? In essence, he was one of the soldiers, but Talut, the, the major general, he's, he took them out. He says, you're not part of this army. You go do your negativity. So I've elsewhere. never thought about that that way. <laughs> so this is actually, by the way, it's in fiqh books. It's in books of fiqh that if you come to like the, the front line and a person has that kind of mentality, they're supposed to be taken out. Like you, you, you're not allowed to participate. Sorry, you can't defend. Go do something else. Go be in the kitchen. So, we have a, a, a huge portion of the Muslim ummah, which is extremely toxically negative, man. Dude, like for the love of God, bring some positivity to this ummah. Give I think, people hope. I think it's kind of crazy is, you know, we talked about transactional faith and things like that earlier, but I think one of the reasons of this toxicity is that, and again, it's, a, it's taking on elements of the culture, right. but it's being so outcome oriented. Exactly. It's, and not only outcome, but now with tech, it's scalability. So not only do we have to have the right outcome, we have to have the right outcome for millions of people. And if we right. can't, then it's not worth doing it. Whereas the hadith about the sapling is essentially saying, forget the outcome. Your process on a day-to-day basis has to be correct. That's beautiful. Exactly. I mean, I think uh, if, if we figure that out as Muslims, collectively we don't we don't we don't we undermine the fact that allah gives victory to those who are uh, to those who are in a state of weakness because of their dua this is the hadith of the prophet that you are aren't you only given victory because of the dua of the weak amongst you mm-hmm. um, so these concepts require number one education knowledge yeah. like for some of you honestly who are listening to this and like man i've never heard some of these things in my life i want you to genuinely genuinely ask yourself why there are so many people, and I'm, I'm in the business of education, right? Who literally feel entitled to the fact that this, this has to be dropped to them by Jibreel Ali Salam. And I'm saying that honestly, like yeah. dude, you have to go and seek knowledge, go and learn, give some time. You have your Netflix series, you're watching whatever you are, gives an hour, two hours in the week to learn to grow, to be able to spiritually. And then when you, when you come to the state of like, why is my spirituality this way? The first thing Islam tells us to is to seek knowledge the, and, and seek relevant people, right? And I, what I mean by that also, for those of you who are like, okay, mashallah, we're going to go on YouTube. No, YouTube is not going to necessarily <laughs> help you. 
you need to have teachers. You need to go to places where you seek wholesome knowledge. Don't sit there and listen to five minute sound bites. And everybody, by the way, is like that. You know, Sheikh Hasib, can you put out like these five minute sound? I'm like, no. Oh, I hate that. We're, that's one of my biggest pet peeves. Sound bites, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and I think, look, you know this. I'm the, you have teachers and, you know, people who are constantly engaged, they will find growth. This is yeah. an investment. This is in any, like, you know, you're, we were talking about investment the other day, right? Uh, and every single person says the same thing. If you're constantly in the game of like trying to make a quick buck, they say you, eventually you'll lose yeah. if you keep doing it. You might make it in the quick run and you go, okay, fine, that's great, awesome. But value investment is where you will find growth even if there's a, a period of stagnation. And I, and I tested this with a number of companies, like for example, like Tesla. Tesla had two years where they were stagnant, literally at the same price, going up and down until they finally hit and I, I believe it's 2016 or something like that. And now they're like quadrupled their, their portfolio, their investment asset. This is, that's how faith works as well. I have, to add, a, I have to add a quick legal disclaimer that this does not constitute financial advice. This is advice. not financial advice. Please that's right. <laughs> a financial advisor uh, <laughs> if you have investment questions. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> We're all going to get sued. I'm just kidding. Um, SEC is going to come after us. Anyway, um, so I, for, for, for me, man, like honestly, there, there's a lack of genuinely seeking um, what you, I would say spiritual education. I, I definitely see it. There's so many opportunities now. I mean, it's, it's just crazy how many opportunities there are for, for genuinely connecting to educational outlets that will help you and, 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 and give you the opportunity to just, you know, at least be educated in the sense of finding that, that uh, worldview, that lived experience, um, learning about the seed of the Prophet Muhammad should be like bread and butter to every Muslim, learning about the prayer learning about how to spiritually develop, but also as well connecting with the community of Muslims who are also doing though. Inshallah. All right, Jazakallah Khair. Anything that you're working on, any projects that you want to share with the audience? Jazakallah Khair, man. I mean, um, we have an outlet platform for people who want to learn from anything to basic fiqh to advanced you know, Quran study. It's called the Legacy Institute. Um, we're doing a seminar at the end of uh, February that will be also on demand for those who can't make it. Uh, it's on spiritual medicine, uh, the roots of all spiritual diseases, talking about them and how everything else stems from these spiritual diseases if we basically um, diagnose them and fix them, inshallah. Uh, other than that, uh, just ask Allah SWT to bless you for the work that you're doing. Um, for everybody to get Fiqh of Social Media, it's a beautiful book and mashallah, very relevant to people's lives and everything we've discussed is basically just a microcosm of what's in that book. Um, and also um, With the Heart and Mind by Mikhail Smith uh, on prophetic emotional intelligence. Also, I think it's just a masterful book on the, some of the concepts we've discussed today. Allah Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Google Play or whatever podcast player you use. And please rate and review the podcast. As always, if you share it with a friend that's much appreciated, you can check the show notes for all the details and links. See you in the next episode.